I'm gonna go get Oh, genius things alike. Ooh. Alrighty. Uh, oh, wait, who uh, else? Who else? Go ahead. Go ahead, E. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, so everyone over on the Q&A stream, uh, the YouTube live stream, let me know if it's been funny. It has been a little bit temperamental for me. Um, but... That's okay. What's wrong? Uh, if it's not working for you, just say something in the live chat and I will try and get it fixed up. I'll check it out. No, it's working. Uh, looks good to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's just put it down to minor technical difficulties then. Yeah. But it's working to everyone else, so it doesn't matter. Beautiful. Okay, cool. Well, we'll get into it then. Uh, I hope everyone in here's uh, watched the video, liked the video, commented on the video, done all of that sort of fantastic stuff for the YouTube algorithm and, and also sort of genuinely enjoyed it while they're at it, I suppose, as well. Um, uh, and it is one of those videos that's uh, really kind of more on the interesting side. And I think it sort of gently skirts the, uh, the actual particular definition of economics, but uh, it is still something that I find really interesting because it's such... Uh, something that you don't really um, ever get that much exposure to in your day-to-day -day life, but it's kind of this weird uh, weird and wonderful world that makes all of this sort of stuff happen. Um, but before we get into all of that sort of fun stuff, um, <laughs> before we get into all of that fun stuff, we will... <laughs> 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 well, Is now I am. All right. all right, there we go. That's one. That's an interruption. <laughs> now I am. Oh, jeez. All right. Um, so... I think that's the uncomfortable one. Yes, EE is in uncomfortable, so there we go. Uh, so, uh, before we do get into it, just sort of the general groundkeeping. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be incredibly uh, distracted by our Q&A bingo, which is apparently a thing now, uh, which I have absolutely no idea. Uh, but other than that, um, sort of general rules is, look, um, uh, Captain Locke here will post a video with basically the breakdown of the topics of discussion uh, in the video. I'm not sure if he's actually sort of had time to, to go through it all. Um, but outside of that, what I'd want you guys to do is if you have any questions, of course, um, that's what we're all here for, to, to talk about them. Uh, if you agree with me, if you want to say the video is fantastic, or if you want to say it's, you know, the worst thing you've ever saw and, uh, you know, you really want to shut down, that's all good. We're here to have a discussion. But uh, we are not here to have a discussion with people mouth breathing into their microphones. So if you don't have a question to ask, please by default mute your microphones uh, because it really, really helps out and it means that we don't have to mindlessly go through and spend half the time uh, on this Q&A um, tracking down people with dodgy microphones like whoever it was that was saying something then. Um, but you guys have been really, really good with that and it has helped out the, uh, the streams quite a lot. So um, yeah, please, please, please mute your microphones. Um, so without further ado, and uh, even though Captain Lock hasn't really sort of uh, put it out yet, does anyone want to kick us off with a question, um, comment, concern, query, or anything about uh, anything about the video that they uh, thought of? Oh, it's it's a great video, dude. Good job. We were just talking about it before you uh, released it. Yeah, there you go. I guess uh... I guess I'll start with the first question. So Sibley, actually, before you even release this video, was asking uh, everyone, uh, he wants to withdraw Bitcoin without paying tax. Uh, it's quite similar to, to laundering. Uh, we suggested that he launder money through online casinos or online gambling. Um, would you say that that's a, a good solution? Like online gambling casinos are also possibly, you know, they could be a, a, a you know billionaire's laundering choice of the future do, do you see that or or not not so much so you you're you're asking me uh for for specific advice about how to launder money and avoid taxes in your home country oh geez i can't see this going uh, i'm not i'm not i'm not asking you about that i'm asking more about online gambling uh and using online gambling to launder money yeah um, um, this, the video is mainly about like you know brick and mortar casinos yeah, it's a really interesting one. Now, um, in certain countries, there are, of course, rules and regulations around, um, you know, using online casinos and things like that. Um, so oftentimes that's a bit of a roadblock. You know, the reason that Macau is such a fantastic place is because they have really liberal laws around gambling. There's nothing illegal uh, about gambling in Macau. It's, it's what the city's there for, basically. It's, it's just basically a Vegas. Um, of course, there is, you know, the element of, you know, illegality in the sense that people are laundering money through it, um, but the actual gambling itself is completely fine. Um, now, if you go to places like, uh, I believe it's the case in most of the continental United States and, and most countries in America, um, that online gambling through these online casinos is, uh, is unregulated at the best of times and, and illegal, um, sort of in the worst kind of instances. So I would say that's 
potentially more of a hindrance than um you know uh, that that's potentially more of a hindrance than a benefit in terms of trying to launder your money there so um i would say probably probably not uh, it would be akin to I don't know trying to launder well, your, uh, your, your yeah. that is yeah. be like give me that fucking shit you know yeah. what okay right. <laughs> I, I didn't Someone's know that was a question anyway um so and yeah correct me if I'm wrong but they are sort of illegal now um that would be sort of akin to someone trying to launder the money they got from arms dealing um to, and they they laundered it through their cocaine business it's like okay cool you've 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 covered up something illegal by doing something illegal so not great. Um, but in countries like, um, you know, Australia, for example, um, gambling is huge business in Australia. Uh, and I'm talking like legitimate gambling. We're just, you know, a pack of degenerates here in Australia. Um, we love, we love a punt as we call it. Um, so our online or bookmakers are, are very, very significant, but they're not casinos. They're, they're more, um, based on, on sports and, and stuff of that nature. Uh, now when we talk about sort of sports gambling, uh, it's even sort of more regulated, uh, because of course there's the, the the capacity then for people to um, uh, you know match fix uh, stuff like that uh, now because casinos are allowed to do basic table games things with low um, you know low house stakes um, they're probably going to be the ideal case the other thing is um, they have a lot more liquidity if we're talking about major major casinos like let's say Caesars in Macau or Vegas or something like that um, they can service hundred million dollar bets uh, if we're talking about online casinos, online bookmakers, legal or otherwise, um, they just don't have the the financial capacity to service um, the type of gambling that's going to be taking place to, to launder this type of money. Um, so they're probably not going to be the first choice uh, for people just yet. Hey, maybe in the future, who knows? Uh, maybe for, for the guy and his Bitcoin, I don't know. I don't want to get involved in that. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot barge pole, but hey, maybe that will work for you. Um, but for now, I sort of see um, probably still going to be the, the choice of the people to, to have something sort of physical. And also, I mean, for what it's worth, something reputable. Um, if you were a, you know, if you're a billionaire, um, are you going to, are you going to trust your, you know, are you going to trust hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, an online bookmaker that you may or may not just pack up shop and be like, okay, thanks, bye. Uh, or are you going to go through an institution like, you know, Caesars or MGM or, or whatever those sort of big uh, institutions are that back uh, casinos around the world. Because uh, effectively, they're as reputable as you know, regular banks in, in many people's eyes. Uh, so an interesting question, a lot to dissect from it, but that would be my takeaway. Um, yeah, as a very roundabout way of saying, no, probably not anytime soon. Cool. Thanks for that. No problem at all. Me, uh how a casino can handle so much money? I mean, how they get to, to that much of dollars? How can they have $98 million in a casino in Macau? How do they do that? Um, well, they're very, very rich institutions. I mean, primarily because, well, for starters, um, I would say they have a lot of financial backing. If people that want to build casinos will you know, raise capital just the same way uh, any other business would raise capital. Um, but everyone that goes in there, um, you know, most people that go into a casino are going to end up, you know, leaving while losing money. Gambling is like the ultimate profit-based industry. Um, so long as you can control for things like, you know, card counting and, and advantage gambling and stuff like that, um, you are um, pretty much in an industry that's just like people coming in and giving you money. Um, it's the ultimate business. So, of course, they get extremely wealthy. Uh, and especially when you talk about, you know, um, adding into the mix things like money laundering. Um, you know, if we take the example that I gave in the video, someone comes in with $100 million in a briefcase, um, or sorry, $100 million through a, a travel agent, uh, and they play, you know, 100 hands of Baccarat and they win 49 out of the 100 hands and they walk away with $98 million. Well, the casino has profited $2 million by facilitating that exchange. Uh, now, of course, you know, there's every possibility that they may have walked away with a profit. Uh, and there's any possibility that they might have walked away losing even more money than that. Um, but, you know, law of averages sort of dictates that it will tend to sort of um, sort of trend towards the median, which means that people normally lose sort of 2 to 20% um, of what they turn over depending on the games that they play, um, which is how casinos make their money, which is why people invest in them, which is why they have so much money, uh, which is why they can do things like they do here. 
with Macau, have you, so we were discussing in, in staff chat before this, so I haven't had the chance to see the video, I'm sorry, but um, have you discussed in the video um, in Macau that, um, um, uh, that um, the casinos are used by mainland Chinese people as a way to circumvent uh, currency controls? Ah, that's the entirety of the video. That's yeah. That was the central focus of the video. Um, ah, so, okay. All right. But uh, you know okay. what? You'll, you'll, you'll get away with ignore it. Ignore me. Ignore me. <laughs> you'll get away with Matthew, it. Matthew, you make me drink extra. No, E, uh, for the Cayman Islands bit, uh, why why do you think that it's always the Cayman Islands? I'm not, uh, let's just say, uh, Singapore or Switzerland or, uh, or Britain, for example. Right. So um, when you mean the Cayman Islands in terms of where people register their yachts or where the people use for offshore Yeah, money. where they register their uh, yachts for, yeah, yachts offshore money. Why not pick like one of the big, more big, reputable institutions? Right. Okay. So when you're coming to, when, you, when you're in the world of international banking, um, you've almost got, to, almost got to think about it as like a supermarket. Um, you know, when you're sort of looking at how to facilitate your billionaire clients' demands, you need to sometimes, uh, you know, mix a few ingredients together. So maybe you'll route your money through Switzerland for the banking privacy laws. You'll go to the Cayman Islands because they have, um, you know, no income tax. You'll go to Ireland because they have no pass-through tax on things like uh, intellectual property uh, profits. Uh, and what you do is you sort of string money all around the world. Uh, and then effectively, once it gets to where it needs to go, um, no uh, government can look into it because it's gone through somewhere that has banking privacy. No one can tax it because it's be being taxed in a, a country that has 0% taxation. Uh, and it has, you know, sort of ended up somewhere where it's safe and secure and it can be wisely invested. Now, the Cayman Islands is fantastic for a lot of things, namely because it's effectively a subsidiary of the City of London. Uh, and the City of London is a corporation that has a lot of investment banks. And it kind of combines everything in one. The Cayman Islands has banking secrecy, which is fantastic for a lot of rich people that would rather, you know, their source of their funds, you know, go unchecked. Um, it is a home for uh, a lot of hedge funds and reinsurance agencies, which is a vital part of um, setting up, you know, investment structures uh, and, and effectively investing into um, regular assets in markets all over the world. It is, um, you know, obviously a nation that doesn't have income tax, so it's an effective way to not pay taxes on a lot of things. Uh, and for things like super yachts and stuff like that, um, for starters, it's very, very liberal in terms of registration fees. It has a port. Um, to actually register a yacht, you need to go somewhere that actually has a recognized port. Um, and, you know, the Cayman Islands does. It has a port that has the capacity uh, in principle uh, to accept, you know, these very, very large yachts. Um, it would never be able to accept them all at the same time, but in theory, it, you know, it could accept one or two of them. Um, it has, it's recognized because it effectively does fly under the flag of, you know, England. Um, so it has the Union Jack, which is a very, very powerful sort of thing to, um, you know, mean it's accepted in a lot of ports around the world. Uh, and it also um, is, is very, very sort of uh, workable in terms of uh, interfacing both with the City of London to, to get things like financing on yachts. Um, so if you do want to finance a yacht, uh, so let's say you go into HSBC and you want a line of credit. You've just bought a $100 million super yacht and you sort of go, oh, well, you know, look, I've got this and it's pretty much dead money right now. If I just have this $100 million sitting here in this yacht, uh, I want to be able to invest it back into my business or into a share portfolio, into, you know, a piece of real estate or, or whatever. Um, if I go into HSBC, which is, you know, a nice big investment bank in London, let's say, uh, and say, hey, um, I want to get a, a line of credit on my super yacht here, take my super yacht as security, um, but I want a line of credit on it. They're going to go, yep, no worries, we'll take security of that. Where is it registered? If it's registered in Singapore, or if it's registered in uh, Monaco, or if it's registered in you know uh, XYZ tax haven mm -hmm. anywhere else in the world, a bank in London is not going to be able to take security in it because it's outside of the jurisdiction of uh, England. If it's in the Cayman Islands, it is in the jurisdiction of um you know, it is in the jurisdiction of, uh, of England, so they can do that. In the same way that if you tried to go into an American bank uh, and get a mortgage for a house that you had in Australia, they wouldn't be able to do it because if that bank turned around and tried to take your um, home loan contract to court to, to repossess your house, they'd go, yeah, cool, but we have no jurisdiction in Australia, so you're shit out of luck. Um, but this is just on a, a much, much bigger scale for, for much, much wealthier people with much more international presence. 
Um, so there's a lot of um, things that make the Cayman Islands just uh, beautiful uh, to the international billionaire. Switzerland doesn't have uh, banking privacy anymore, by the way, since yeah. 2017. Yeah, uh, yeah, as an example, yeah, yeah. But that is that is true. Uh, but compared to like Malta, for example, who has like all those things plus like a little extra more privacy since the government's a little more corrupt. Yeah, but also then the government is corrupt. Um, you you don't want to be keeping um, you know, billions of dollars uh, in uh, with a government that you're like, eh, you know, are they going to sort of seize all of my assets? Eh, you know, I don't know. Um, you don't want that kind of uncertainty. If you're you know parking all of your wealth and you're structuring all of your wealth through elaborate schemes, you want to make sure you're doing it. Uh, and something that's rock solid. Uh, and in terms of rock solid financial cities, uh, London's about as good as it gets. Uh, it, it, it's way better than even New York because it's just had the history of operating for hundreds of hundreds of years and uh, it's basically gone you know, more or less without a hitch um, you know, providing its financial services uh, for that entire time. Uh, is anyone else currently asking a question? Uh, no, 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 you can go ahead. All right. Uh, can you just like kind of explain like what really is the legal definition of money laundering? How it's done? What are its effects? Just like in general, what is money laundering? I guess. Yeah. So money laundering is a very loose and, and open term. Now, historically, when you think money laundering, you think of um, you know organized crime trying to legitimize the cash that they've made from illegal activities. So things like drug dealing, right? Um, if you have made hundreds of millions of dollars selling you know, cocaine or, or whatever it may be, uh, that's cool, but most of that money is going to be in cash. Um, and cash is great, you know, you can use it to pay for low-level things, maybe you'd be able to buy a car or something with it. But in today's world, if you try and buy a house with, you know, a million dollars in cash, no one's going to accept that. The real estate agent's going to be like, haha, no, uh, they're probably going to call the authorities and your source of cash is going to be very heavily scrutinised. So you need to make sure that your cash looks... Uh, legit. You need to get into a, a bank account um, so that you can kind of keep it safe and you need to make sure that that revenue looks legitimate. So normally what that means is you, um, you know, you buy a business, you operate that business and you layer um, that cash revenue from your other sort of genuinely illegal activities through uh, what looks like a legitimate business. And then if someone says, well, how the hell did you make $100 million this year? You say, oh, I don't know. I own a successful chain of car wash uh, centers or laundromats or restaurants or, or whatever uh, i'm just a successful businessman um whatever it may be you sort of like no one will really be able to sort of say that um you know this cash was different from this cash and they won't be able to sort of say where the actual sort of uh, source of it comes from now that's typically where most people consider that money laundering ends um that's a very sort of very surface level look at what its extent is realistically money laundering um, is moving cash through different institutions in different ways um, and sort of disguising those movements as legitimate movements to uh, cover up uh, cover up sort of uh, outcomes that you would rather go uh, unchecked. So, you know, in the case of, let's say, uh, getting money out of China, it's illegal to um, transfer more than 50,000 RMB for US dollars in a given year. But if you go through a casino, uh, you do that by being a little bit creative about how you, um, you know, how you move in uh, your money to achieve effectively the same result, um, but you know you've done it in a way that sort of circumvents the laws, or at least it makes it a lot more difficult to enforce. Uh, do you think Bitcoin will become the will, will, will eventually replace the casino since it's like it's a lot easier to buy, sell online, it's a lot more liquid? Uh, no, I don't think so because it's not fungible. Um, so you can, uh, like, if you have a, like a, like a, uh, a, a, and a detective accountant, what is the word I'm looking for? Forensic accountant. Um, they can effectively look through the, the transaction record of all Bitcoin and find out who sold what to who. Um, it's a common currency effectively. If anything, it's probably easier to follow than real life dollars because there is a, you know, a big public record of who's traded with who. Um, and especially when you're talking about the sums of money that's going to be required to move, you know, the, the level of cash that we're talking about, um, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb on the Bitcoin market. Uh, Bitcoin's a huge market, don't get me wrong, um, but a $100 million transaction um, would be market, market moving, you know, it would be a very, very major 
um, sort of instance in, in the Bitcoin market. It doesn't have the sort of same level of liquidity as, as what's really required to move cash um, through the markets that we're talking about. Yeah, I'm mostly like create like a thousand Bitcoin accounts and then just like have like a maybe $10,000 in each one for like the same results. Yeah, you can do it. Uh, of course, you know, that's, that's effectively smurfing. Um, but at that point, you know, um, you'd effectively, you'd probably be easier hiring a thousand people to move $50,000 each just directly, right? Um, you kind of get to the same thing because effectively that money's either got to do one of two things. It's all got to come back together um, or um, it's, it's going to go to the same place with Bitcoin. Um, they can still sort of follow, um, follow the trail. Uh, when you think of like uh, criminal accounting and forensic accounting, they, they basically follow the breadcrumbs, right? Um, what your job to do as money launderer is to, you know, get out your, your sweep and, and sweep the breadcrumbs away so they lose the trail and they can't sort of keep on following you. Bitcoin doesn't do that. Uh, if anything, it's the easiest sort of trail of breadcrumbs to follow um, because it gives you a nice big public record. Um, well, you, you do have some ways to sweep the crumbs away um, uh, in Bitcoin as well, like uh, mixing, coin mixing pools and so on. Right. Uh, I suppose so. Look, I mean, I wouldn't be able to sort of speak with enough authority to really say that it's impossible. Um, all I'm saying is at the moment, um, casinos just offer a much better alternative. They're more liquid. Um, they can sort of operate and facilitate the kind of, of uh, you know, uh, market size that we, we require to facilitate these sorts of transactions and you know they are a lot more clandestine in their operation i think the point that you made that's uh, very correct about bitcoin is that it'll be market moving uh, market moving if you if you try to move 100 million through the bitcoin system because ultimately the buck stops with uh, fiat currency being exchanged for cryptocurrency somewhere yeah exactly um, hey, you know, maybe in the future, I think there are coins like Monero and stuff like that, for example, that are designed to, like, designed specifically for this kind of activity. Um, whether they put that on the label or not, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, for now, yeah, no. Um, but it is an interesting one. Uh, I quite like the idea of Bitcoin. And uh, in the next video in the series, I'll actually sort of discuss um, sort of what the, the real big movers use instead. Um, when they're sort of transacting things under the radar, which is uh, more more likely art pieces and stuff like that, uh, which I find quite interesting. The art market um, is still e. significantly larger than Bitcoins. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I have a question. Um, when you were talking about like lines of credit, like uh, like the HELOC one, um, why wouldn't you just like, let's say you, you have a billion dollars in China, couldn't you just get a line of credit with that Chinese one billion? Like, and then just pay for stuff that way and like an American line of credit yeah, with your you not can. having to move your currency? You can, um, but, 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 um, two things. Uh, one, uh, a lot of banks don't like it as much as they would something that is uh, outside of China um, because, you know, the same sort of thing, security in China, uh, when you're talking about real estate, for starters, you don't own the real estate, you rent it for 99 years. When you're talking about shares in China, uh, their share market is a bit sketchy. Um, so a lot of investment banks are a bit like, yeah, you know what, we don't really want to take security of that per se. Um, and there are severe limitations on how investment banks can act within China. Um, you know, so they, they do have a presence, but it's primarily banking is done through um, the state-owned banks in China. Um, so institutions like, you know, Barclays, HSBC, Goldman Sachs don't really have the kind of capacity to operate in the country. But you do make a really, really good point. Uh, in a lot of other nations, that's actually how people do uh, launder money. Um, they do uh, basically just put a big old asset. So let's say they have a house in, I don't know, let's say Russia worth $100 million. They call up Credit Suisse and say, hey, Credit Suisse, can I have um, a loan for $80 million on my $100 million house? And I go, yeah, no worries. No, worries. we'll give that to you for 1%. Um, they immediately, uh, will, they, they have that sort of wide to a bank in, in London or, or Switzerland or wherever. Uh, you beauty, I've got $80 million out there. They immediately default on their loan. It doesn't matter because they've got $80 million there in Switzerland. And yeah, sure, Credit Suisse will take the, uh, the house in Russia um, and you know, probably sell it for $100 million. So they make a little bit of profit themselves. Uh, but, oh, so they purposely default on the loan? Yeah, just to move money out of it. Um, but there are sort of more efficient ways of doing it. And uh, investment banks do get in trouble for very obviously accommodating that. So if we see something like that happen, 
um, you know, there's, you know, Interpol and stuff like that is going to be like, uh, harm, or, or, you know, more specifically, probably the Russian government is going to be like, uh, I see what you're doing there. No, no, no. Give me the money back. Uh, and, you know, the, the investment bank would probably be sued if, it, if it's super obvious what they're doing. Um, so uh, it happens, but um, there are limitations and they still need to maintain a level of like, we've got to cover up sort of what it is that we're doing here. But yeah, uh, really good. You would have a, um, you, you have a promising career in forensic accounting or investment banking, depending if you want to go to the light side or the dark side, respectively. So the casino thing is mostly a Chinese solution rather than a global solution. Oh no, casinos are like the go-to for everything because you get it. You get to basically think about it. You get to change your money into this currency. Poker chips are a type of, type of currency. Uh, it's untraced. There's no you know sort of uh, electronic records of it. There's no accounting standards for it. Um, you can pick it up, move it around. If you go into a casino with you know, there's no way to differentiate someone that walks out of a casino with $98 million. There's no way to know if they walked in with $100 million or if they walked in with $1,000. But it's possible to walk into a casino with $1,000 and walk out with $98 million. You'd be literally the luckiest person in the world, but it's possible. Um, and in the same way, there's no way to tell that, you know, uh, that lucky guy apart from, uh, you know, the guy that was obviously just there to launder their money. So it's a little bit harder to sort of legitimately see. Really, the uh, casinos are probably in on it as well because they are always more than happy to a uh, either um, you know take on that money to uh, to move it and you know report the profit from it uh, or you know even if they are sort of being even more facilitating of it um, just count it as losses um, if they're sort of really really being dodgy and, and malicious with things so yeah no casinos are used by by everyone uh, and that's why in places like Vegas uh, and Australia. Yeah, they're unbelievably regulated. You would not believe um, the level of regulation that would go in uh, operating uh, casinos. For example, you know, KPMG, Deloitte, um, you know, the big four accounting firms that operate around the world, um, they will not audit casinos because it is too difficult. Uh, it's just too spicy for them. Uh, there's legitimately accounting firms that specialize in auditing casinos and their prices for doing so are like, you know, um, you know, a hundred times more than what a, a big four accounting firm would cost. Uh, one of the primary expenses of accounting in, in casinos. It's quite crazy stuff. Is there anything being done about that? Like, I know in your video you mentioned about how China can't really do anything because they don't want to hurt the region. But in places like uh, Australia and and Vegas, for example, because I know it's, I, you know, at least from GTA, they, they make it out that, you know, casino laundering is quite easy to do. Um, well, and the governments don't seem to really care about it. Yeah, it sounds you know, really if, easy. Yeah, oh, okay. I imagine it's not. It's a video game, uh, right? Well, well no. I, I have actually friends who work in this industry. They have some. They have a very uh, facial, high-level facial recognition system in many, many casinos. Like to see if like someone's like trying to game the system. And what they do in Macau now is they actually give that information all to the Chinese government. So if you continue to do what EE does for too long, uh, well, your face is going to get recognized and it's going to be sent to the Chinese Communist Party. So you're not. You, okay, uh, I, think, I think it's called Face Six. The one, the company that does it now. Yeah, that's and, not my question. And and. The, to, to answer your question, um, yeah, so, so places like Macau actually have sort of cracked down on it. You know, the heavy hand of the CCP has kind of, you know, lowered its hand onto Macau and they're like, okay, enough of this now. You've made your money, um, you know, let, let's, let's, let's be sensible. Uh, so people have moved abroad. Uh, and you know what? It kind of comes down to a trade-off, you know. Uh, casino executives are going to see this as a golden opportunity. If people are coming in and they say, I want to bring $100 million into your casino, uh, it's really hard when your bonuses or commissions are based off bringing new business into a casino to say no to these. You're incentivized to kind of potentially turn a blind eye to it and maybe not do your due diligence. But there is worldwide standards, things like know your customer, anti-money laundering laws, um, that you know uh, all of these sort of regulated institutions are supposed to adhere to. Um, but there are time and time again instances where that's obviously not been the case. Um, just in Australia, for example, you sound like you're from Australia as well. Um, not more than sort of about six months ago, there was a huge, huge um, sort of breach in our biggest casino here in Australia in, uh, in Melbourne, uh, Crown Casino. Um, it was, you know, they basically flew in uh, Chinese billionaires to, you know, gamble tens and tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and it was very, very obviously a money laundering racket. They would literally employ Chinese people. They set them up in an office in China to, to target billionaires and they sort of, you know, 
um, sort of said, this is a great way to get your money out of the country. We'll put you in touch with real estate agents in Australia. So once you've got your money out, you can go and buy a house in Australia. Isn't this fantastic? It was, it was extremely obvious what they were doing. Um, and they, well, to be honest, they probably didn't actually get in that much trouble. Uh, it's kind of business as usual for the casino, but it does show that people are looking out for this sort of stuff and um, it effectively isn't on. Is it bad for Australia, though, if they are getting money effectively from China? Or is that not a good thing for them? Uh, well, I mean, yes and no. Um, it's I more of an ethical question at the yeah, end of the day. I mean, the kind of money that they're actually bringing in is not going to make a major difference to the Australian economy. Uh, it's going to make some casino executives rich. It's going to go to, you know, stockholders in a in an Australian company. It's not really going to get circulated and sort of bring a lot of genuine good to the um you know, to the economy as a whole, and not nearly on the level of it's not nearly worth the trade-off uh, with the you know the loss of goodwill between um, you know Australia and China. Uh, if Australia is sort of seen as this you know little disobedient country that's just letting all of these Chinese billionaires escape, China's going to turn around and say, okay, well you know what, um, you know see that iron ore you've got there? It sure, we'd be ashamed if no one buys it, uh, which is going to be much, much, much more devastating for the Australian economy than. Um, you know, let's say a few million dollars that they may have had run through their, um, you know, poker tables. Um, because, you know, Australia is a big developed economy and it relies on a lot more things. For Macau, well, the actual trade-off is probably a little bit harder to say um, because Macau's uh, economy almost entirely depends on its gambling industry. So, you know, bringing in more revenue there is effectively bringing in more revenue for the economy as a whole. Um, it's, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, um, but the answer is no. Um, you know, uh, it's not net beneficial for the Australian economy. Um, it, it's complicated to answer that question as well with uh, with regards to what effect it has on um, the, the diplomatic relations between Australia and China, because a lot of the people that, uh, um, that are funneling money out of China, they're deeply involved in the Communist Party. So it could go either way, actually, if you start blocking these things too harshly, you have to sort of uh, strike a balance where you're not pissing off the wrong people in the Chinese government as well. Yes, of course, which is an art form in and all of itself when you're, uh, you know, when you're dealing something as, as bureaucratic and unruly as the, the Chinese Communist Party. But, uh, but we're not... <laughs> oh boy, we won't get into, into that too much. Um, but yeah, it's, a, um, it's an interesting. One. I have a question. Go ahead. How much do these uh, billionaires lose in um, routing their money through different countries and other administrative things? Like you said that you default on a loan. So how much do they lose and how much of their money do they actually get to keep at the end of the whole skirmish? That is a great question. Um, it, the answer is it depends. Now, normally when you're money laundering, uh, if you get to hold on to sort of around about 80% of what you started with, um, that's, that's seen as pretty good. Um, and look, obviously these systems are in place when we're talking about people that are probably, um, you know, the source of their money was a little bit more legitimate. Uh, you know, they could probably get away with 90%. Um, and of course there are instances where, hey, you know, when you're moving money from, let's say, doing illegal activities in China and then you've got to get it out and then you've got to get it all the way to, let's say, uh, London, uh, maybe there's a few more hoops you'll jump through and you'll lose a little bit more. Um, but but on average, and you know, full disclosure, I'm um, I don't work directly in this type of industry in investment banking. I don't um, sort of have too much exposure to it, and I'm like obviously don't work in a, in a field where I facilitate it or anything like that. Uh, but normally, the, the common knowledge is trying to get away with sort of about twenty percent loss um, for, for the All ultimate. Right. I guess you know, the best the answer the is um, I guess the best answer is less than tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's the unfortunate thing, isn't it? Great way to put it. Ooh. If I could, if I could ask a follow up to that, I I understand the idea behind you put money into the you put it money you convert it to chips and then you basically convert it back into money. Uh, you convert the chips back into money. Why do you need to gamble it? Like why do you why can't you walk into a casino with a million dollars, convert it into chips, hold on to it, you know, have a couple of drinks, don't really gamble, just sit around the tables, you know, and then go back hard. to the tables. Because dude, the I casino mean, actually has to make money eventually, and to do yeah. it, you actually have to be gambling. Yeah, and normally okay. there, there are there are games that have like no fucking risk of like old maids or games like that, where you can literally you have like maybe one percent loss odds. But yeah, you there is you have to gamble in these casinos in Macau. Yeah, well, two things. Um, one, as, as someone else sort of pointed out, there of course, you know, if the casinos are facilitating this, they want to make some they want to make some money, right? You know, and if you don't gamble any of your chips, they're not making any money. So why the hell would they take the risk? Um, the other one is effectively like a legal loophole. 
Um, in a sense, you are not buying these chips. You have been gifted these chips. Um, you pay $100 million, but you don't pay for $100 million worth of chips. You pay for a hotel package, uh, and just someone so has to say, oh, you know, compliments of the casino, here's $100 million worth of chips. How convenient, right? Um, now, yeah, and, and to actually legitimately make that your money, um, you need to generate that as revenue. You need to earn that money in um, Macau or Vegas or Melbourne or wherever. Uh, and to earn it, you actually have to win it off the tables. Other than that, they've just given you something. They've gifted you something. So you haven't actually earned that money. If you, you know, win a hand of poker, though, and you, you know, happen to have these sort of free chips that you're putting down, oh, you know, you beauty, okay, then you've won it. Um, but uh, if you don't actually earn it, um, well, that is sort of very obviously a direct link to, okay, well, you know, you've just sort of passed the money through some casino chips here. Um, and that's where it, it kind of teeters from going to yeah, very, very much grey zone to just straight up, okay, well, that's 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 straight up illegal. Well, uh, off topic a bit, uh, uh, there's a very famous case like 20 years ago by a guy named Joe Lowe who essentially uh, stole $5 billion from the uh, Malaysian Investment Fund and managed to wander it into a pile of things. Uh, do you know anything about that? Yeah, 1MD, 1MBD. Uh, it's huge, and it is something that I'm going to talk about in the second part of this money laundering series because it's great. Uh, of all things, I think he invested it in, uh, well, he, he did invest it through Red Granite, a uh, producing company into the Wolf of Wall Street. So how's that for irony? Yeah, um, I know. That was, that, was, that was my favorite part. Yeah. Uh, plus, all, plus all his other investments. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll look at the next video. A, a, a crooked billionaire investment banker uh, launders money out of a country through illicit means to make a video or to make a movie about a, a crooked uh, investment banker. Who... Ironic, isn't it? Yeah. No, not really ironic. It's, it's the circular ironic. I mean, he... with the Saudis, but that's big, big... Uh, So back a little on topic. For uh, Dubai, uh, for the tax havens, do you think you have to, say if you want to have a big business and you want to be like the sole proprietor of that business, and you want to like go work overseas and you want more foreign currency, do you think that strategy would use, you use the poker strategy for that sort of means? Uh, well, look, I mean, if you're just legitimately exchanging your currency for foreign currency, you're much better off just going through a standard foreign currency exchange, um, you know, facilitated normally through uh, an investment bank or a foreign exchange uh, intermediary. Uh, you're going to lose much less money than going through a casino. Do businesses have the same like $50,000 restriction? Or can they operate like differently? So businesses, they want to um, operate somewhere else. Yeah, so businesses in China uh, obviously have the capacity to invest abroad, um, invest in operations. You, th you think of things like Huawei, right? You know, they have shop fronts and towers and, and factories and uh, research centers and stuff like that all over the world. Uh, well, at least they do here in Australia. Actually, I live, uh, my big apartment building is literally right next to a, a Huawei tower. Um, and it's yeah, they do a lot of 5G in Europe. Yeah. like 33% or something. And obviously that involves sending a lot of money abroad. Um, but of course that's okay for a company. As long as that uh, remains invested into um, the company and as long as it's being used for productive assets within the sort of bounds of the company, that's fine. And that's fine for a few reasons. Firstly, of course, um, it's kind of necessary for uh, the Chinese government if it wants to spread its influence. Uh, its companies need to build an international presence. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, major institutions, Huawei, uh, you know, Xiaomi, uh, name any other sort of uh, Chinese company out there. Um, they have um, very, very strong ties to the Chinese Communist Party once they get to that sort of level of operation, uh, which means that they can kind of control uh, everything a little bit, a little bit stronger. Um, yeah, so they've got a little bit more of a guiding hand over it. Whereas if it's an individual, um, you know, they may never see that ever again. Okay. Oh, that's a good question, though. Uh, and of course, you know, one of those things where it, you know, it's potentially a severe limitation, right? Uh, when do you think uh, uh, technology is going to get to a, the point where you can't actually cheat anymore because of face uh, first, day six facial recognition systems that can literally just track all your money through like global governments or globalization? So we'd, we'd have like a report of every single person for like their credit score. And globalists. And I, I know. 
I know China famously has something called a sesame credit, which essentially, whenever you screw up, they take a points off your credit score. And so you can't, this makes it harder for you to like buy a bank, uh, go take a loan from bank, go travel abroad if your credit score is too low. But and I think it's right now they're actually applying it to Macau. So I think, uh, I think the video is going to, it's going to, it's going to be like a relic for the future uh, for in the five years from now. Yeah, it's an interesting question, and the answer, the best answer I can give you, the most correct answer, I suppose, is, uh, I don't know. Um, no one does, right? It's an arms race in the same way that I'm sure, uh, you know, when people sort of uh, uh, saw tanks on the battlefield, they'd be like, all right, well, look, you know, we're never going to be able to shoot anything ever again because there's no, no way we're going to get through that. Uh, but of course, you know, technology sort of moves in line with, uh, you know, the answers to those technologies, and I, I have a feeling that... Um, there are a lot of very, very smart people out there that have got a lot of money to be made by circumventing the systems that other very, very smart people come up with. Um, and I have a feeling that, you know, so long as there's an incentive to turn a blind eye, move the other way, work around sort of the systems that are in place, uh, it'll probably still happen. Oh, I apologize. Have you actually covered the sesame prep thing with China? Uh, I have no. not, no. Uh, did you, uh, you want me to comment on I mean, uh, as it relates to uh, money laundering? I can't imagine that uh, being caught money laundering would be great for your credit score. Um, yeah, but outside of that, um, it, it's probably just one of those other technologies that um, you know will restrict things. But but you know people will learn to work around it. I know, but so we, we, at a at a global level, having your entire population uh, social like a social contract with your entire population having them forced to monitor everything they say do online or in person like see if they go past the light affect their credit score uh, on like a huge scale and have their face recognized all over the world do you think that will be good for social change or do you think that will uh, hinder it later on do you have any comments on that sort of system Ooh, um i think the thing with um dictatorships or, or oh, look it's probably not a dictatorship i think that's probably a bit unfair authoritarian states I think most of us can agree that China's relatively authoritarian, um, is that uh, their economy is very important to them. Um, they want strong economic growth because they know that strong economic growth means that the quality of life of their citizens keeps on improving, which means that they will agree with them being in power, uh, which means it's easier to hold on to. Um, but what's more important to them uh, is maintaining that power. If they could maintain power, if they had the option to improve their economy or maintain power, uh, they would choose to maintain power uh, as a as a distant second place, they you know want to improve their economy because um, you know that, that helps them hold on to power. And look, the same thing is ultimately true for um, you know democratic countries. It just so happens that in democratic countries, the way that you hold on to power is by keeping your citizens happy. In authoritarian countries, the way that you hold on to power is by keeping your citizens in line. Um, and in that sort of sense, hey, look, even if this social credit score system does hinder their economy a little bit. So be it. It's a small price to pay to make sure that we, you know, stamp out any any dissidents or anything like that early on, because uh, that's much more important to us than having a, a nice, healthy economy. Hey, if we can do it and still maintain that nice, healthy economy, you beauty. Um, but um, yeah, uh, the actual effect, I don't know. I think uh, it probably will be sort of more of a hindrance. The more you kind of control people or make sure that people sort of adhere to to kind of a standard or you know kind of beat them down, I find it it normally isn't isn't a good thing for an economy. Um, you really kind of want to be liberating your citizens. You want to be making sure that they feel, um, you know, the ability to kind of go out there and, and start a business or, um, you know, engage in some kind of developing this, that, or anything else. Um, but, you know, as I said, I don't think that's too much of a concern for, for the CCP at this point, unfortunately. But wouldn't that, like, promote stability? See, if, like, if you talk about Tiananmen Square or have, like, anarchist thoughts, like, you're, critic like, you're punished for that? Like, wouldn't that promote stability in your populace? And stability leads to economic growth. Yeah, so st yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You're using my own uh, stability and confidence against me, eh? Uh, I like that. I like that. Well, um, I actually did talk about this. Um, I think it was in one of my videos last week. It might have even been my last video. Yeah, let me double check. I've got short-term memory loss. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when we uh, when we looked at uh, the dictatorship dilemma, uh, can you lead a save North Korea's economy? And North Korea is potentially um, even sort of more. Um, you know, sort of a stronger case study. It's it's more authoritarian of a course. Its economy sucks, uh, real bad. Um, but uh, what we see is, look, it seems like uh, a dictatorship is really really stable. You've got this one person in power, this one government. There's nice consistency in control. Um, but 
uh, when it breaks, it breaks really badly. Uh, whereas a, a democracy, uh, it's a bit more sort of free-flowing. Obviously, there's ebbs and flows. You know, different parties get elected and there's changes. But uh, in terms of stability, it's much more sort of, uh, it's much more rock solid. Uh, in the same way that um, probably got more stability. Um, uh, what's the analogy? I, I, I kind of want to use the analogy of a car again, but I use it for every damn thing. All right, you know what, I'm going to do it. In the same way that you're going to have uh, a lot more stability in a car um, that's got a bit of give in its suspension, right? Um, if you're, uh, if you have a car that has no suspension, it seems like it's a lot more solid. It seems like it's a lot more stable because it doesn't sort of move around. But as soon as you hit anything, um, you know, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to go massively off the track and you're going to have a big, big fat crash, uh, which is of course what sort of is going to happen in, you know, things like these authoritarian states when something just goes that little bit wrong. So, uh, actually, uh, hey, Aunt E, uh, Beatrice uh, was waiting patiently to ask a question, uh, posted in chat. So he asked uh, if E doesn't work directly with billionaire money, how do you know uh, that this is how it, how it works? Because uh, I'm fortunate enough to work directly with people that work directly with billionaire money. I know yeah. a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who, yeah. who knows a guy. Yeah, which is he basically works in finance. Additionally, uh, question they ask, I still don't understand the last part about ELOC. So why do they use ELOC instead of cash? Really good question. Why do they uh, use extended line of credit? Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll preface this by saying, yeah, they don't let me talk to the billionaires at my work because I, I keep on telling them to like and subscribe and they, they don't appreciate that. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, an equity line of credit is a really, really powerful tool um, for rich people to use. The same way that you or I would maybe, well, look, the way I structure my finances is that everything I spend in my day-to-day -day life, I put on my credit card. Uh, you know, if I'm going to, to grocery shop or, or something like that, I, I just use my credit card or if I'm booking flights, when I'm able to book flights, um, you know, forbid, fingers crossed, uh, I'll be able to at some point this year, I'll use my credit card or if I'm filling up with petrol, I'll use my credit card. Um, and then, you know, once a month, I'll pay my credit card off once my, you know, pay goes into um, my, you know, transaction account and I sort of start all over again. I never carry a balance on my credit card. I just pay it off before before it's due so I don't pay any interest on it. Uh, and an e-lock is basically kind of the same thing, but on a much, much larger scale and it's secured. So it's secured against something. So if you have $100 million in cash, um, you have a few ways of doing things. Um, realistically you want to make sure that basically all that hundred million dollars is invested somewhere uh, and invested in something that's going to generate you returns like the stock market now you have two ways of doing it if you want to buy a 50 million dollar yacht let's say uh, and you have a hundred million dollars you could do that no worries you have 50 million dollars left over and you can go and park that 50 million dollars um, in the stock market no worries cool all right yeah that's a good outcome you don't you don't have any debt i suppose that kind of works for a few people it's nice and simple um, but it's not a smart solution what is a better solution is to do it like this. You put all of your $100 million into a share portfolio. You then go into your local investment bank, the same way that you know a regular punter might go into their local branch and you say, hey, Mr. Investment Banker, Mr. Goldman Sachs, um, I've got this $100 million share portfolio invested with you here. I would like a $50 million loan that I can draw on at any time. Effectively, it's like a, a credit card with a $50 million limit on it. And they go, okay, no worries. Um, you can you can have that so long as um, we can keep this uh, share portfolio here as security. So you're not allowed to sell your shares in that time. Um, you can um, you know you can get dividends and all that sort of stuff from it. That's fine, and if it appreciates in value, fantastic. But you're not allowed to sell your shares while you've got this loan with us, uh, and that's okay with you because most billionaires sort of buy and hold for a really long time. Um, and yeah, you can have this fifty million dollars. Now you don't pay any interest on it at first. If you if you don't use it, it's the same as a credit card. Um, you know you just don't pay anything on it. Um, but if you wanted to then go and you know buy something or uh, if you wanted money in the United States, no worries, Goldman Sachs operates in the United States, they operate in Europe, they can they can sort of facilitate your drawdown anywhere in the world uh, in the same way that you'd be able to use a, an American Express or something like that to do the same thing but on a bigger scale. You wanna go and buy a super yacht, no worries. You've got $50 million basically in cash that you can draw down and uh, beautiful. Once you've bought it, of course, you start paying interest on it. But the idea is that look, these loans, they tend to charge 1% interest, um, you know, or something ridiculously low like that um, because they're so secure. And it means that, well, 
um, realistically, if your uh, share portfolio is, is even conservatively invested, you're going to be generating much more returns than 1% per annum on average per year. Um, so you're in a really, really healthy position there. Uh, and then from there, of course, you know, the more assets you get, you can put e-locks on everything. Um, and, you know, you keep on sort of having that cash flow flexibility. So it kind of gives you the benefit of, of having your cake, I suppose, in the sense of your share portfolio and eating it too, literally. You have your, you have your, your um, you know, your investment portfolio and you still get to spend your money. It's great. Um, sorry, can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, um, you were talking about the previous video on the dictatorships. And in this video, you also talk about the stages of economic development. You talk about farming, manufacturing, and services. Yep. However, um, I work daily with national accounts data. And for instance, in Latin America, where we are, a develop, uh, we are developing uh, economies, um, services make up for most of, the, of, of our GDP. Even yeah. though we don't really export services, but yeah, over seventy percent of our economies is services, and, and so that's all. Yes, that Sorry. that tends to be the case for most countries. Uh, most countries have you know service-based economies, just because uh, it's far easier, and the way that sort of GDP is measured, um, which is normally how we sort of use our, our figures when we're looking at economies to get a snapshot. Um, services sort of add a lot more to, to the GDP figures because they, they tend to be a lot more transactional than things like manufacturing, um, even though that might not be the primary wealth generator of the nation. So what you'd really need to look at is not necessarily net transactions or things like um, uh, you know, GDP figures regarding sort of the breakdown of industry, but rather what's generating the wealth of the nation. Uh, and you look in things like um, you know, South America, I know, uh, you know things like tourism, they they have significant influences and uh, and even things like banking and stuff like that is a lot more sort of influential than it may be in um, startup and uh, startup sorry uh, regular industrial developing countries. Uh, but even still, I'm not surprised that you know if you look at the figures for most uh, countries, even what we'd class as developing, yeah, uh, primarily their industries are going to be service based, but it's not nearly going to be to the same level as a developed country. Um, and it's not going to be what's the centre centre of their wealth generation. And do you think we can uh, escape from, like, for instance, you can be a, a farming country economy and just skip the manufacturing stage and go directly to the service stage? Uh, sure. I mean, I think as long as you've got some uh, something to sort of lift you up um, and and kind of facilitate that sort of leap, I, I don't necessarily see why not. Um, for life, I mean, I'm trying to think of. Uh, as, an, as an example, uh, normally sort of manufacturing is kind of like, it's like the, the leg up that, that accommodates it. Um, but I'm sure there's an instance where, um, you know, especially if it's a smaller nation, especially if it's had things like tourism sort of helping out. Um, yeah, I could see that happening. I, I actually have an example, just the last thing, um, because I'm from Chile. And in Chile, I, maybe you know a little bit of our history. We had a restructuring of our economy and we were turned into a really um, completely neoliberal economy focused on exporting commodities, mainly copper. But there was talk about transforming the country from uh, this commodity provider into a financial hub for Latin America, you know, therefore skipping the manufacturing stage. But it sounds a little bit um, unrealistic in my view, maybe. I don't know if you have any thoughts about this. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe it does. Um, but I think, uh, look, I, I think in the sense that um, you're not going to turn into basically a workshop of the world. You know, think of you know like a Shenzhen or a um, you know something like that, where it's just huge. You know, rows of factories as far as the eye can see. Uh, maybe you'd be able to avoid that. But when you're talking about things like mining, uh, that's a type of industry. You know, you're not sort of uh, generating the wealth in terms of um, asset sort of uh, value adding, uh, but you are digging it out of the ground and I think effectively that would be you know, classed as, as general industry. Thank you. Um, so when you were talking about businesses earlier and you said how they can kind of operate freely, at least for like China, um, what's stopping someone from like, like let's say you're a rich billionaire, but you just start a business in another country and you just claim that it's going really poorly and you're having a bunch of losses and you just pocket that money? Or is it too easy to like audit or something? 
Yeah, they probably ordered it, and they probably makes make it such that um, you'd have to do it as a loan um, to the business there. So they, they that you do you'd set it up as a loan structure rather than sort of a, an equity transfer, um, and you'd have to pay it back um, back to back to China. The other thing is, look, the the companies that are allowed to operate internationally, um, they tend to be you know at least have you know sort of CCP members on the on the board of directors, and they they're under the thumb a bit, um, so it's not quite as as uh, running a business is not quite as free and liberal as it is in, say, the United States, for example. Okay, I see. Yeah, very good question, though. Uh, I like it. I like all the sneaky ways, you know. I like this kind of I like this kind of thinking. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of ways other than casinos. Yeah, like for example, um, like I mean, this is this is it's a really interesting thing to to know, uh, especially if you're like a, a legal professional or into international law or something like that, um, because the people that come up with these, you know, if you're an accountant or a VP or something that comes up with like something like uh, someone linked it earlier. The double Dutch with an Irish. Uh, the double, the Irish sandwich with a, the double Dutch with an Irish sandwich. Uh, something like that. Ah, oh, jeez, I've forgotten what it's called. Um, basically, a tax loophole for corporate tax structuring to avoid um, paying taxes in continental United States um, through international uh, intellectual property transfers. Uh, the person that sort of that uh, is a multi-millionaire, and literally all they did, all they created, was some kind of convoluted bureaucratic scheme to juggle money about the world. Um, so yeah, look, if you have a pension, a double bird, Irish the Dutch sandwich. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, um, I just posted it again, so you can see. Yeah, 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 I was trying to. That's what I do. I, that's I, what I, I'm working on right now. I had a, I had a brain. Ooh, not that, but, yeah. but like how to. Yeah, creating but, one of these loopholes. I love, I love these things. Yeah, but if you're good at solving puzzles or look at good, good at pulling apart rules and, and stuff like that, and you have a law background, you know, <laughs> and you understand how you know basic legal systems work. Oh my Me. god, this is an incredibly Me. lucrative field to go into. I mean, the most famous one is uh, essentially you have a group of stocks every year that you can buy or sell. Eventually, at the end of the year, you sell all your loser ones. Uh, right at the end of the year, you declare it on your taxes that you lost a pile of money this year because you sold all these stocks for a huge loss. And then, you, then the next day, you just rebuy all the stocks. That's like the most famous one of all time. Yep. Good old capital losses. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, it, it is. I like that. I like that one. Um, now, what was I going to uh, say? Uh, I think it, it, it's one of those things where... Um, yeah, I think you're probably not going to be very satisfied with any kind of contributions you've made to society because you would have literally contributed none. But uh, yeah, if you want to get rich and, uh, and you don't have a soul, uh, certainly it's a lucrative uh, prospect. Now, I'm going to answer one more question and then it is uh, bedtime for me. Um, so does anyone have any good one? And let's make it somewhat related to the video. I do. E, uh, you said about something uh, anti-money anti -money laundering standards, no? Yes. Uh, how a bank in London can take money from Macau and be in an anti-money laundering standard? Ah. I mean, they know that, that the money comes from money laundering, don't they? Well, no. There are plenty of people that go to uh, Macau and they're just rich and they have a good old time and they... You know, make some money, or they lose some money, and they just want to transfer the money out of their, um, you know, out of Macau and into their regular old bank accounts. Um, it, it, it's impossible to differentiate between someone that's just won a lot of money uh, and someone that's laundering money through a casino in Macau. You know, you would sort of assume, you know, uh, if you took like a common sense approach, you'd be like, ah, no, it's a bit of a stretch. Um, but the thing is, it's also you know fighting against things like. You know, discrimination it's it's really hard but to then say. what i mean what anti-money laundering standard does then if it doesn't protect from that yeah it, it it sort of puts the onus on you to do your due diligence so anti-money laundering laws are in effect uh, almost like a retrospective law um if something is shown to be uh, oh look this was this was money laundering uh, and you facilitated bad guys you know moving money around from from ill-gotten gains um, they will look at you and say, what did you do to, you know, sort of elaborate the source of the funds to um, figure out where this money was coming from, to figure out how they were earning this money, to figure out, you know, where the origin of this money was. And if you are as an investment bank turn around and go, well, you know, they have a casino and, you know, it's just, yeah, well, they're going to be like, well, no, 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 that's not good enough. Um, so a lot of their job is to actually sort of, you know, chances are, I'm saying that the VP at Goldman Sachs that's facilitating this sort of stuff, they know. 
They know exactly where it's coming from. They know exactly what's happening with that hundreds of millions of dollars that are coming out of casinos in Macau. But what they've got to do is work with their lawyers to have plausible deniability. Yeah, no, fun stuff. It's two, I think it's 2 a.m. for you. It is. It is 2 a.m. for me. So thanks for watching the video, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Um, I hope you found it interesting. Uh, if you didn't, you know, go watch it. Leave a like, subscribe, comment, all of that sort of fun stuff so it helps me out. Uh, other than that, I will see you guys all on Sunday for the next one. All right, on that, I am out. <laughs> see you Bye. Good night. All right. And goodbye to everyone over on the YouTube live stream as well.